All right. So it's good to see you all this morning. We are beginning a new series today. I'm going to introduce it in a moment, but before we do that, I wanted to start with a story that I remember from my high school days that I think relates somewhat to the passage that we're going to look at. Um, for those of you in high school or middle school, I don't know if this still exists. You could tell me later if it does. Most of our high schoolers and middle schoolers are on spring break and out of town, so there's only a few of you. When I was in high school, we had this, um, we had this I guess it was like an event where it was called See You at the Pool. And what it was, was it was a national um, kind of day of prayer on school campuses where students would meet at the flagpole and it would be happening simultaneously across the whole country um, just to kind of pray for their school, to pray for their campus, to see who else kind of on the school campus believes. Um, you don't have to raise your hands because you might, uh, for reasons I'm about to explain, this might feel like I'm guilting you into doing something like this, which is not the intention. Um, but for a lot of you who are in school today, I think the idea of going and praying at your flagpole where it's a public space where people can see you is probably something that might be very scary. And it was scary for me many years ago, but I also think that the kind of the nature of um, uh, culture and their take on Christianity, especially here in California, makes that an even scarier thing to do. Um, but even for me, many years ago, when I was there, uh, we had talked about how in our youth group, a lot of us wanted to commit to going to this event and meeting at the flagpole at, I think it was 7 a.m. Uh, before school, so it was quite early, and to go and pray. And for me, I mean, you guys see me up here speaking week after week, so you might think, oh, Dan's not scared of being in front of other people. Here, that's true. But when it's around strangers, I actually have a lot more fear of what people are going to think of me um, and like what they, yeah, what, they're, what they might be thinking in their heads. And, and I'm a lot more conscious of, of things like that. And so um, even today, I think that would, um, I would be definitely less scared of that now, but it, it might be something just based on my personality and what I'm comfortable with, I'd be less likely to do. And so um, we were gathered around the flagpole and we were praying and it was like, it's kind of doing the thing where like you're praying so your eyes are supposed to be closed, right? But then I would also like open my eyes because I'd be like, are any of my friends walking by? Are they judging me right now? Who else is here? Because it's like, it's kind of a weird thing. You're like meant to meet together to pray and then your eyes are closed but then more people are coming and the whole purpose is to see other believers. And so my eyes had been closed for a while and as we were taking turns praying, just kind of popcorn style, whoever was ready, all of a sudden, I heard the voice of a really good friend of mine, and I had no idea she was a believer. And for a lot of us, I think we were very scared to be there. And then I thought, oh my gosh. Like, and she was, also the, she was also the class president of our grade. So she was very popular, everyone knew, everyone knew her. Um, all the guys were in love with her, and she swore that she had a boyfriend from another school, so no one would like, you know, try to ask her out or anything. But it was, to me, it was like, when she started to pray, a lot of us, I think we were, we were a little bit nervous to be there. But you could tell she's not nervous at all. And it's not just because she's, you know, the ASP president or whatever, but there was a confidence that came from her as she was in this circle of prayer where you got the sense that she is very comfortable being where she is. She doesn't care what people might think about her or say about her. And she was a lot more comfortable, we'll put it this way, than I was there that morning at 7.30. 
Um, I share this story with you because today we are starting a series in the book of Galatians. And uh, the, uh, the, the title of today's message that I think is a good title for our series is Freedom in Christ. And so on that day where we're meant to get together to pray, hopefully there is a, a feeling of freedom that we could have this you know, the religious freedom that was afforded to us in America. I don't know how it would fly now in, you know, 2023 California, but we were free to stand at the flagpole and pray together, um, but at the expense of what other people might think of us. And I think a lot of us go through life feeling enslaved to many things or not just, we don't go through life with the sense of freedom that I think we oftentimes want. And that's why the book of Galatians is going to be very good for us. But that sense of freedom is actually very specific as the Apostle Paul talks about it. And so um, to get a picture of why we want to read the book of Galatians, hopefully we can see our need and our desire for this, um, just this feeling of freedom and this freedom that comes from Christ. If you think about our vision as a church, um, we often quiz you on this, but it's been a while, I think, since we've mentioned it in a sermon, so it'll be up here on the screen. But the vision of our church, what we hope to accomplish and experience here, is that broken and captive people will be healed and set free in Christ Jesus, right? Now, as someone who doesn't speak Mandarin, I know there's a, you know, a Mandarin translation of this that is shared on with our brothers and sisters uh, in the Mandarin congregation, and a lot of times... It's really, for people who English might be their second language, it's really, if you ask them very simply, if they've come to our church for a while, what is the vision of our church? Instead of saying that whole phrase, they'll just say, set free. Because that helps explain what, um, what we're trying to be about as a church. And so a good question for us as we go into the book of Galatians is, how many of us truly feel set free this morning? How many of us could be like my friend Tina who had this just incredible kind of confidence to just go and not be worried about what anyone else thought of her, but to be able to go and boldly kind of just pray for her school, for her campus, without the, the, without the worry of judgment of what anyone else might think, while also being um, very uh, just committed to what she believed to be true. And so that's kind of the backdrop of how uh, we want to start the book of Galatians. So I'm going to have us read the first 10 verses of chapter 1, and we'll get into it this morning. But let's read starting. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be up here on the screen. But we're going to read the first 10 verses of the book of Galatians this morning. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, when it comes to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, I know for myself many times, I always need to refocus on the simplicity of what it is. And I thank you that we have this opportunity to do that this morning. Lord, I know many of us feel bound by uh, many things in this world, the expectations of of our workplaces, difficult relationships that we're hoping are restored um, and that we expect could be different. Lord, a lot of us feel bound to something in our lives. And I pray that as we study the book of Galatians, Lord, that we would be set free and that we would be experiencing the freedom that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that, um, God, that wouldn't just be a feeling, but that would be something that we can put into action in our lives. And so I pray that you would be opening our minds and our hearts, both this morning as we look into your word, but over the next several weeks as we go through this really, um, this really deep, this really challenging, but uh, very important book, uh, the book of Galatians. Would you be opening our minds and our hearts to receive your truth? And, Lord, I pray that that would be something that changes our lives and lifts the burdens that we often feel so that we can, be, we can feel free in Christ and live that way. So Lord, we just ask that you'd be speaking to us this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in these 10 verses, we're going to focus on three things this morning. The first thing we're going to see is the good news of deliverance that Paul has for the Galatian brothers and sisters. And then secondly, we're in the middle part of the section, we're going to see Paul's commitment to this good news And then finally, we're going to see how hopefully this allows us to be set free from the really like heavy weight of approval that weighs down on us many times. So first, what do we mean by the good news of deliverance? Um, As the book of of Galatians starts, the first two verses is kind of an introduction to who's writing it. It's the Apostle Paul. And this is one of, uh, if you're looking at the timeline of when Paul's letters are written, The letter to the Galatians was one of Paul's earliest, it dates back to one of the earliest ones that we have the manuscripts for. So this was uh, earlier on in Paul's Paul's ministry. Um, You read about the Apostle Paul's life throughout the book of Acts. So chronologically, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all the way at the beginning, but it's one of the earliest letters that we have. And so we're introduced to Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, and he starts with a very simple message, and it's this good news of deliverance. And the best way to study Paul, this is why I always have to fight off Daniel, because Daniel always wants us to be reading Paul. And I'm just like, no, can we go back to the Old Testament? But we just did Exodus for a while, so it's his turn to win, I guess. But anyway, when you study Paul, and this is why I struggle with Paul, you really have to break down every phrase, because there's so much that's really, that's really deep. And I'm gonna, that's not, I don't think that's my strength, but we're going to try to do that to some extent while still covering the first 10 verses. Um, But when he starts in verse 3 with this greeting to the Galatians, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're breaking down just that verse, Paul has this message that he feels the Galatians need to hear that comes from God and that he wants to share with them. And we're going to see that this message is not an easy one for them to understand, as you can kind of tell from the verses that we read. But that's how this interaction starts, where Paul is writing this letter to say, this is something that I believe is important that God wants us all to hear. So that's in verse 3. And so if if Paul is saying there's this important message that we want to start off this letter with, it's going to go for six chapters. But what does he start with at the very, very beginning? He starts with a description of the gospel. Now, if if you look at verses 6 through 9, 
Um, we're going to focus in on this more later, but you see the word gospel appearing over and over and over again. And when we study God's word, if there's a repeated word, it's definitely important that we understand why is this author using that word. And so the word gospel is being repeated over and over again, but really the definition of it, we find it here in verse 4. It is Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. And then there's the later phrase, but as I'm saying with Paul, you got to unpack everything, right? So Jesus gave himself for our sins. That is the first part of this gospel message that Paul is saying it is so important that we hold on to. And so we're going to see why in the second half of that phrase. But I'm really glad that we're starting this book together today because I realize I need every reminder of the simplicity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God gave, gave us his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. And then there's more to it after that, or, or the, the why is more important as we get into it. But that's the second half of the phrase that we'll cover in a moment. But starting to go back to the simplicity of what the gospel message is, is so important for us, right? Why? Because then the next part says, to deliver us from the present evil age, meaning that the time period that the Galatians are living in, there are lots of distractions, which we're going to see in the next section and onward through the book later on, that can distract us from what the truth of the gospel really is. And so this is why Paul starts off in this way. Now, he's gonna, what his, inst- or his message to the Galatians is going to intensify in just a moment when we get to verse 6. But he is saying, he is starting at the beginning with what truly matters the most. Now, we just finished a series in the book of Exodus as we talked about um, worshiping God in the wilderness. And we talked about the fickleness of the Israelites, how they were, they were delivered by God um, from the Egyptians, their oppressors who had enslaved them. And then, but there's reasons for why they, you know, why hopefully they would learn to trust God. It's based on what he's done. Remember when Daniel shared with us about the heart behind the Ten Commandments, many times we think God's law is just something we have to obey without understanding the purpose behind it first. But anything that we do as a part of our Christian life or worshiping God here at church, if it doesn't go back to the very simple truth that we see here at the start of verse 4, then we're going to see we're guilty of what Paul's talking about next, where we want to make sure we're focused on the true gospel. And so for God's people, they had all kinds of reason in the wilderness to trust God because he had led them out of slavery in Egypt and onto dry land, right? And then when they were thirsty, he gave them water from the rock. And when they were hungry, he sent them manna and he sent them quail. There was always a reason for them to believe him and trust him. And then for us today here, the Sunday after Easter, we had a wonderful celebration both last Friday and this past Sunday where we remember in kind of the truest form what the gospel is, that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us to be delivered. And that's why everything that Paul's going to say afterwards, if that's the starting point, then where we go from there is very important, but he starts with that simple truth. And so for us if we, don't believe, if we don't see the hope, that come, the good news that comes from being delivered from our sins, then it's very likely that the rest of the book of Galatians is not going to make that much sense to us. In the same way where if we don't trust God as a Savior and believe that he has, given a, that he has delivered us from something, that he has given us something that's worthy of good news, then why do the Ten Commandments matter? 
And that was kind of the, the circumstance the Israelites were facing, though they had reason to believe him over and over again and see. Um, when I try to think back to the simplicity of what it means that I've been delivered from a present and evil age, um, I think Daniel does this a little bit better than me because he has this like iconic story like that you've heard many times of where you know he was about to fail physics and he goes and goes outside very melodramatically and cries in the rain. Some of you are nodding because you've heard this story multiple times. Now, let me be very clear. This is, not, this is not a shot at Daniel reusing the same story because I am encouraged every time I hear that story. I've got a little bit of a story of my own that I also share and repeat over and over again. As pastors, we repeat ourselves. I know, just deal with it. But I haven't shared this for years, so it's probably new for a lot of you guys. But anyway, I think my story pales in comparison to Daniel's. And yet, even thinking about it this week, it still gives me this great picture of, uh, I, I feel like God allowed me to have this particular experience so I could understand what it means to be delivered in the same way that Paul is talking about. Um, when I was a senior in college, I had a part-time job at the law school um, at UCLA where I was a student. And um, we were, our department assisted the professors. And so we would, I mean, you know, it was a very simple minimum wage job. It was pretty easy. I could study most of the time until the professors needed something. But the one rule of working there was if you are making class materials, especially exams, you never ever leave something in the copy room. Like most of my job was making copies. It was, you know, being an errand boy for the professors. And so, but the one thing you had to be careful to do was you cannot leave a copy of the test in the copy room because the students had access to it as well. And so one day, as I'm sitting at my desk, a professor comes in and he says, who was making copies of these? And I looked up in horror, seeing that the original paper that I had made copies of, he was holding it in his hand. Now, fortunately, he had found it in the copy machine before any of the students had a chance to like, you know, find it, realize what's on the test, go sell it to their friends, all the problems that could arise from it, right? And before, before I could confess and say it was me who left it there, my boss actually raised his hand and he said, I'm sorry, professor, like that was me, I left it there. Now this statement made no sense on multiple levels. Like I was, he was my boss, meaning he told me to go make the copies because as the boss, he wouldn't do that himself. He had people to do that for him, right? So the professor is probably thinking, why were you making the copies? That's what you have like minimum wage workers to do, right? And so that part didn't make sense. But the, my boss was also uh, just responsible enough where this was way out of character for him to not go to great care to make sure something like this like wouldn't happen, right? And I think the reason that my boss did this was he knew there could be great consequences for me if I had said, oh, it was me. They could get rid of me very easily and hire any number of students that want this job because it really wasn't that hard and you, know, you could study at the same time. and um, It was a good job, but I was very easily replaceable. But in that moment, my boss was willing to put his reputation on the line and say it was me and take the punishment. In a, in a small way, that's a picture of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And it's a way where I got to experience uh, just the, the incredible grace and good, uh, just goodwill from my boss in wanting to, in wanting to um, just shield me from the consequences that I should have experienced. Um, I haven't talked to my boss in years, but if I ever see him, he's, I mean, this is down in LA, he still lives down there. But if I ever see him, it's like, if we go out to lunch, I'm paying. 
If we're going to go play golf, it's like, hey, I, I got this. Why? Because like to this day, I cannot be, I, it's been years since then, but I cannot forget the kindness that he showed me in that moment. And I was really thankful that I got to experience that truth because I think that's a picture of what it means that the gospel really is good news, that we've been delivered. We've been delivered from the consequences of our sin. Now, in that moment, there were very real potential consequences for me in that moment physically. And I think the challenge for us to believe this from a spiritual level is sometimes we can just keep living our lives without realizing how deep the consequences of our sin are. But at some point, it'll catch up to us. And yet, in, in, and that's where I think God gives us experiences like I had in this moment, or like Daniel sitting out in the rain, or like that you guys have from, from experiences you've had where you get to experience how God has delivered you in one way or another. I believe God gives us these experiences. So we have pictures in addition to what we celebrated last Sunday, where we see the truth of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and how important that is for us. And if this is what, uh, if this is what has changed Paul's life, which is what we're gonna talk about more next week, because the book of Galatians gets into his history quite a bit, you, you have to know that it comes from a very true place and that it's very real. And so Paul will have his own version of, of my story that I just shared. But that's how he starts the book of Galatians. It starts off with the simple truth that God loves us and he delivered us from the present evil age. And it's according to the will of our God and Father, meaning this is something that God wants to do for us and wanted to do so much so that he sent his son Jesus uh, down to this earth to bear the punishment that we should have borne. And so in its simplicity, Paul starts with the good news of deliverance, that it's what Jesus has done for us. And that's going to be very important as we get into the next section, which is a little more intense in terms of Paul's uh, kind of direction towards the Galatian brothers and sisters. But if it's not based on that truth, then everything after this is just going to sound like Paul being incredibly harsh and judgmental when it's really meant to set us free. And so that's the good news of deliverance that we see at the start. This is how Paul starts. We're going to see that he has a lot to say, but he starts with this. Because without what God has done, Really, nothing else matters. And I think that's why we struggle to feel freedom in our lives. Because our freedom, our, our feelings of freedom, we base it on so many other things in this world. I think that's why he talks about the importance of finding approval from, from God and not from man. But we'll get there. And so this is why Paul starts in this way. In the same way that God's people in the Old Testament had the experience of the Red Sea and the manna and the water from the rock. It was ways where God was showing, I have delivered you from this particular situation or this one. And then it, in the same way, the people, uh, Paul is trying to remind the Galatians, don't forget about the simple truth of the cross. And I realize I need that for myself over and over again. And if we want to experience freedom, we have to have been set free from something. And that's why I am forever grateful to my boss. And so if somehow like he finds this on the internet, hopefully like he can remember back on this, that, that, that day. He probably totally forgot it because it was many years ago. But for me, I can't forget because I'm so thankful for that experience. And I believe it's a way where God wanted me to experience um, this truth that we see here in verses four and five. So that's the first thing. We see the good news of deliverance. Now, why is this so important? Um, because Paul uses the word gospel over and over again, starting in verse six. 
uh, and all the way down through verse 9. So the first thing we see is the good news of deliverance that Paul writes about, but then we see Paul's commitment to this good news. So much so that now, after he's talked about the very truth of the gospel message, he gets very confrontational with the Galatian brothers and sisters. And it's a warning to say, you cannot stray too far, you cannot stray away from the truth of the gospel and add on to it in the way that we see uh, that he's talking. So in verse six, uh, it's like, it's kind of like, it's only two verses, it's short. It's like when you have this conversation with someone where you know they wanna say something to you directly, but there's the like, hi, how are you? And then one other important phrase before that, right? It's like, but in Paul's letters, sometimes the greetings are a little bit longer than this. This is a short greeting. Why? Because Paul is so concerned about what he is seeing amongst the Galatian brothers and sisters that after he reminds them of the truth of the gospel, he gets right into this and he says, I am surprised at what you're doing. And not surprised in a good way, but he's saying what is happening in your midst is concerning and we need to call attention to it. Why? Because they're straying away from the simple truth of the the good news of deliverance that he talked about in verses 4 and 5. And so um, after this opening message, Paul can't wait but to speak of the importance of what he sees here in the midst of the Galatians. And it really hinges around this word gospel. And that's why we talked about the simple truth of the good news of deliverance. So you see this word gospel many times. You see it at the end of verse 6, that you are turning to a different gospel. In verse 7, you want to distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, if someone should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, that person should be accursed. Verse 9, preaching, same, he's repeating the same thing. And so this word gospel shows up four times. And that's why we need, to def- we need to go to great lengths to define this and see why this is important. Now, I think for us, a lot of times when we hear the word gospel, I don't know if we hear what the Galatian brothers and sisters would be. And that's because of the translation from the original language. So when we hear the word gospel, I think many times we might think the basic tenet of Christian faith, like the, you know, the good news that that Dan talked about and that we're delivered and all that, but we wrap it up into a more, like I think we wrap it up into a word where we really are meaning the gospel is truth or doctrine. But when you look at the word gospel as the way Paul would have said it during this time, it is literally translated good news, right? That's the original translation of this word. And I think it's appropriate for, that we could, for us to say, that when Paul writes this in verse 6, he's saying, I'm astonished that you are so quickly turning to another set of good news. If the good news is what he started with, that Jesus gave himself up for us, and was delivered, and to deliver us from this pre- the evil present age, then why are you turning to anything else that is good news? And that is his theme over the next couple verses. Now, um, I want you to take my word for this if you keep reading, um, but really what we're going to see in future weeks is Paul goes into greater detail to see what they are adding to this picture of the good news that goes beyond what he has said it is in verses four and five, all right? So I hope you could trust me that that's what we're gonna get to, but for the sake of today's message, if he's saying you're adding something else onto this good news that is already there, we'll go into that in greater detail, but I want you to trust me when I say what he is saying is he is talking about the church traditions 
or the uh, certain uh, the adherence to the law, a lot of different things that are a part of church and that are important. But Paul is trying to draw a distinction and say, remember, the good news is literally that God loves us and gave himself up for us. The good news is not God loves us and gave himself up for us and you need to be at church on time. Don't miss the first worship song. Don't miss like English Adult Sunday School at 945 wear certain clothes. There were a lot of things that were starting to get wrapped up into this that that Paul wanted to warn against. And for Paul, this had been so life-changing because Paul has a story that as much as I love Daniel's melodramatic story in the rain, Paul's story is pretty crazy in and of itself. And it meant so much to him that that's why he is struggling when he sees, look, you are adding things that don't belong there when it comes to what it means that 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 the gospel really is good news. And so we might think, you know, at this time in the Galatian church, I think there's good reason for this. The church was very young at this time. Remember, this is one of Paul's earliest writings. God's people had gone through a period like prior to Jesus being on earth where the law was very important. And I would say it, it kind of, it does, the heart of the law doesn't change, but the way that God's people experienced the person of Jesus changed a lot of things. So it's understandable that there would be confusion. And so we might look back and say, like, well, if it's just that simple of the good news being that we're delivered in the way that Paul talks about, what is so complicated about it? And I think the importance of the book of Galatians for us is many times we add things on to the gospel ourselves as well. We have things that we believe are so right and wrong where it's like, okay, we have to do it this way, and if we don't, then we're not experiencing church or God in the way that we want to. I was trying to think of the best possible example for this, but I think some of these are sensitive because they get built into church culture over time, so I'm not quite sure how uh, in detail I want to go in this, Um, but really, Really what it comes down to is people adding on to things that they expect someone to do. So here's a good, uh, like when I was thinking about how we might be able to explain this, I think many times what we do in conversations with people that we care about is we can use worshiping God as a way to get someone else to do something we want them to do. Does that make sense? And we, you see this a lot. I've, I've heard this many times in like parent-child relationships in youth group. A lot of times when the parents bring their kids to church, then there's this expectation, oh, you're at church. You're learning about God. You're learning how to become a good person. Therefore, you need to behave better when you're at home, or you need to be more willing to help me with the cooking or help me with the chores at home. And that becomes part of the truth or gospel at that moment. Okay. Now, none of those are bad things for you few kids who are here uh, during spring break. Let me tell you, it's a good thing if you want to go help your parents, like, you know, with the, with the chores at home. But a lot of times, and I'm not only picking on parents of youth here, but a lot of times we add things on in a way to get what we really want, where it's like, all of those are good things, but it should not depend on, like, you know, the message that... God loves you and sent Jesus into this world and and you have to do the dishes for your parents, that's not the gospel. That's not the good news, okay? It's a good thing, 
but it's not the gospel. And there were many instances of how the Old Testament law, as people were trying to understand it in the church of Galatia, was getting added on to this simple truth of the gospel. And it could be very confusing and in, in ways where people inside the church could control other people by saying, this is the gospel. Jesus loves you and gave himself up for you, and you need to follow all of these traditions. And Paul is saying, this is not right. This is not how we're meant to live. This is a gospel that is contrary to the one that he had originally preached to them and that they knew the simplicity of. And that's why, and Paul is so, um, Paul is so serious about this that he goes to the lengths to re repeat himself in verses 8 and 9 to say, if anyone is preaching this gospel to you, let him be accursed. Now, we don't like that because that sounds uncomfortable. Like, it sounds like Paul is like, you know, kind of like bringing upon spiritual warfare or something, some kind of judgment towards this person. But here's why I think this is so important. If this is what we do, where we add things onto the gospel, we will experience these curses that Paul is talking about. It has nothing to do with Paul saying it or writing it down or directing it. But in, in the example I'm using, where a parent might add on to, okay, because you go to church, now you have to behave in this way, doesn't that affect the relationship? It totally does, right? And I'm, um, I say this being without being able to remember specific examples. I'm sure I experienced this as a child in my relationship with my parents. Why, my parents are not perfect. They're great people, I love them, our relationship is great. But, you know, parenting is hard, so you're gonna, like, there's gonna be times where it might just seem simpler to say, okay, God wants you to do this, which is a terrible thing to say, but I, I, this is something that happens. And it's the messiness of why Paul is warning against these things in the first place. And so Paul, in talking to the Galatians, he's saying, you cannot get so far from the simple gospel message, right? And so um, what I, and then there's an interesting transition between this and verse 10, where it talks about the approval that Paul is seeking, which doesn't come from man, but comes from God. And so Paul is so, uh, he is so convinced of the simple truth of the gospel and not adding anything else onto it, that that's why he's willing to go to the great lengths to warn the Galatians, look, you guys need to stop doing these kinds of things. Before we move on to this point too much, I want us to think for ourselves, are there ways where I try to use spiritual means to try to get someone else to do something? Where we might be in the place of God where we're like, hey, I think God wants you to do this when really it's what we want. And that's something we want to be really careful of to heed the truth that we see Paul is talking about here in this letter to the Galatians. Now, um, I wouldn't describe myself as a confrontational person. Um, and so, you know, one, Paul is challenging for me because my ADHD kicks in when there's all these big phrases that where you have to break down three parts of a sentence, and that's challenging for me. Um, but it's also how confrontational Paul is, is also, I wouldn't say it's a way that, uh, that I often live my life. And so this passage is definitely humbling for me because when I think about it, I am sure there are ways where in our church, and this is true of I think most churches, if not all churches, there are parts of our tradition that we have added on to the gospel. And I'm not saying this 
to be incredibly judgmental of us. Like, I think we take great pains to try to be clear about being saved by grace alone, but inevitably as humans, there are times where we inject our own opinion into the gospel. And I know I do it, and it's making me think, okay, we need to evaluate a lot of the ways that we live, a lot of the ways that we worship God, um, to, to treat the gospel with the same level of seriousness that Paul is here. And so I'm thankful for this passage. And when you get this picture of Paul, you see, as you read about Paul in the New Testament, you see Paul is not scared to say anything to anyone at the right time, right? Paul is a, you, he, you get the sense that he's a pretty confrontational person. And if we can take him for the, take him uh, at kind of the purpose of why he does this, I think our lives are much better off, right? And so you get the sense that Paul is this strong and confident person. I get the sense that Paul feels this freedom to say what he believes is true. Many times we struggle to say what we really think because we are scared of what the response will be. Paul does not seem to have that fear here, right? And so in the same way where my friend Tina at the flagpole in the morning during, during the, the prayer time at school, she was not scared to stand up and be in front of her people even though everyone knew who she was and pray where a, less, a lot of us, we were kind of on the fence because we were worried about what people might think. And the Apostle Paul is not that way. I think deep down, I think we all desire to be that kind of person where we are free from the approval of man in the way that we see Paul here because he's so convinced of the truth. For my friend Tina, who was you know, uh, secure enough in who she was that she could stand up before many people and pray in that way. And that's because at, at, at its core, we want to derive our approval from what God thinks and not from what everyone else thinks. Terribly challenging to do in a work-driven uh, culture like Silicon Valley, right? When you go to work, your, your, uh, your progress at work it is based off of man's approval, right? Um, and there are many ways where in Asian culture, like, it's based on, like, saving face. And so it's very easy for us to care about what someone else thinks. And that's why this idea of approval is so challenging. Um, many years later, uh, after this, uh, after this uh, the, the CU at the poll rally, um, I, I had another chance to kind of, uh, I guess, be a light or be out in front of other people in, the, in a similar way. But it was on a much smaller scale. And so uh, as I was in my first year of seminary, I was working uh, part-time for a friend of mine from church. I worked at a small uh, blueprint company where we worked for architects and engineers. And so one day, an architect who was old, he was in his 60s, really nice guy. We would have good conversation all the time. And so he came in, and he needed copies of his blueprints done. So while we were waiting for it, you know, there's a lot of time for conversation. And we had had conversations before. And for some reason, he said, so you don't work here all the time, what else do you do? And it's like, for me, as someone who often gets scared of what other people think, thinking, oh man, like, do I tell him I'm a seminary student going, studying to be a pastor? Or do I just tell him I'm a grad student and hope he changes the subject, right? So that way I don't have to go into a deeper conversation to share like something that could be particularly difficult. And so, but in that moment, I, uh, I would like to think that I had experienced enough of God's grace in my life where I felt like I can say what it really is. 
so I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a part-time grad student. I'm studying to be a pastor. And he had no idea. Like, he was, you could get a sense that he was very anti-church and religion. And so, you know, he said, a pastor? So you go to church? Like, you really believe that someday, like, you know, we're like, all of you guys are going to go up to this, like, place in the sky? And I just, I didn't know what to say, because for one, my fear of, like, the approval of man, uh, of this, like, you know, uh, 60s-ish Caucasian American male was, like, pretty high at that moment. But I didn't know what to say other than just to say yes. (laughs) And that's all that came out in that moment. And honestly, after that point, our conversational, like, our conversations were never the same. I think at that point, he had lost respect for me. He didn't want to talk about, he didn't want to talk about things more. It was just, here, make me three copies of this, and then that was it. And that was the way our relationship changed. But in that moment, I would like to think that I was less scared than I was as a 16-year-old standing at the flagpole, you know, wondering what everyone was going to think about me. And so the only place that that security can come from is when we know that God loves us in the way that verses four and five talk about. If our lives are about, yes, God loves you, but here's all the things you have to do, we know inevitably we will fall short as human beings. But if our lives are governed by the simple truth that God loves us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, and we simply believe in that, it really does set us free not to worry about what the world thinks, what, someone, what one more individual would think. Sometimes it can be painful, and it was painful every time this man came into the shop after that. I would try to hide in the back or get someone else to help him because I was like, I don't want to deal with this guy. He's, he's judging me. I'm scared. It hurts, you know. But the more secure we are in the simple truth that God loves us, the more that the human approval does not need to govern our lives. Now, the simple way of thinking about this is, is to say, well, if the only approval that matters is approval that comes from God, then, like, you know, do I even need to care about what other people think of me? We might take it in that extreme and make it very black and white. We're going to see in the book of Galatians the way our beliefs cause us to love one another and treat one another and understand one another are still extremely important. But we can do it in a way where it's not, we're not worried about what this person thinks about me 24-7 in the way that I think is very difficult, as I've talked to many of you about our fears of our boss, our fears of our family, our fears of rejection from a particular school or a, a letter we're waiting to get back from a college. We live in a world where man's approval of us is usually often low, and that's a hard place to live. But the thing that sets us free is believing the truth that, Jesus, that, that Paul talks about, what Jesus did for us in verses 4 and 5. And the more we have a close relationship with God, the more we can have the same heart as Paul, where we are able not to base our lives on like, what other people tell us we should do, but to base it all off of the simple truths of what God has done for us. And so that talks about how we are set free from approval in this way. Um, we're, in, we're halfway through April, and I'm thankful that um, we have not forgotten about our church theme for this year, or at least as I was thinking about this message and how it relates with our church theme, that it's something that we can still talk about. If you remember, our church theme comes from Luke chapter 5, when Peter goes out fishing, and the theme is to put out into deep water. We talked about going out into deep water was P 
Peter's way of listening to the voice of God. And you can see how this is important when it comes to the Galatian church because what Paul is calling them out for is, yes, of course everyone believes that the voice of God matters, but the voice of man had started to creep into the Galatian church where it affected a lot of other things that people were calling good news or, you know, non-negotiable truths that Paul is trying to get them to see, no, there's only one there. And when I think about the interaction that Peter had with Jesus, when Jesus calls him to go out to deep water, this idea of listening to God's voice and knowing simply who he is and not worrying about the approval of anyone else was really on display in that chapter when we think about where our 2023 theme, church church theme comes from. And that's because of this. Peter's been out fishing all night, right? And so Jesus, uh, if you've, we've got the slides here, it's Luke chapter five. It says, getting into, this is a key detail, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, he being Jesus, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, verse three, we often read it very quickly to get to the main part of the story, but it's an important detail because it shows us lots of people. Now, lots of people is important because lots of people can mean lots of opinions, lots of viewpoints, lots of what each person is viewing in this moment, right? And when he had finished speaking, when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, if you think about Peter worrying about the approval of man, he would think, Jesus, why are you calling attention to the fact that I haven't caught any fish all night, even though I'm a professional fisherman? Why are you calling attention to that? Or he could object for, in a lot of different ways where he said, Jesus, like, I do this for my job. Don't you know that like, I know how to fish? But in this moment, he obediently listens to Jesus' voice. He's not worried about what everyone else in the boat thinks. He's not worried about what everyone who's on land that Jesus had just been talking to, what they might think. He simply listens to Jesus' voice. And that's because of this trust that Simon Peter has. He had seen who Jesus was previously, and that's why his response in verse 5 is so powerful. As he answers, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Like, I know it. My crew knows it. Other people know it. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And he listens to Jesus' voice. And the reason why this is our church theme, as Elder Rupert told us why God put this on his heart, is because after this experience where he listens to God and catches all the fish, his life is never the same. And that phrase, I think, is something that appeals to us, where we want to believe that the truth of Jesus Christ, or we might be looking for it in all kinds of other ways, but we're always looking for a way where our lives will never be the same. It's why we strive hard for approval in the working world or from our families because we believe that's going to bring us some freedom that maybe our lives will never be the same. But the one way that we can truly experience this is the way that Paul is talking about, remembering that we, the good news is simply that we were delivered from our sins the way that Jesus did for us on the cross. And I think it's Peter's a really amazing uh, example of how he listened to the voice of God, not worried about the approval of anyone else. And in that moment, he was secure enough to say, yes, Lord, I will, at your word, I will listen and I will do it. If we are struggling from the expectations of our world or opinions of others, the only way we will truly be set free is to return to the good news as Paul describes it 
here in Galatians chapter 1. And the best part of this is, though this is, not an, though this is not the easiest book for us, both conceptually and also just emotionally, because it kind of calls us out on things that we do, this, I truly believe this is how we can experience the same kind of freedom that Paul had, where he could say whatever he wanted to everyone, not in an not irreverent way, but in a way where he was so confident of what he had been set free from and what true freedom was, that he had no problem saying it to anyone else. Same kind of freedom that my friend Tina experienced at the CU at the Poll rally, in a place where all of us were so scared of what others might think about us. To her, at least as far as I could tell, she was so confident in her faith that it didn't matter that being one of the most popular people in school, like she was totally fine getting up in front of everyone and just being able to pray to God. That's an amazing faith that I believe deep down all of us want to have. But many times the thing that holds us back is our thirst for the approval of man. And that's why Paul talks about this seeking the approval of God and not from man and how we see how that sets him free. And so I really think this is going to be a great journey for us to go through the book of Galatians. This is just kind of the introduction to see how Paul is trying to help the brothers and sisters at the church in Galatia be set free by hearing the voice of God, not the voice of man. And I think that truth is still very important for us today. And I pray that our lives would be governed by the simple truth of the gospel, what God did for us, and not what we hope man thinks about us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, the truth is uh, not always easy for us um, to hear or to think about. Um, but Lord, I confess for myself, many times my life is governed by the fear of the approval of others. And Lord, I thank you so much that you have set us free from that. God, that the, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, means that you love us as we are, not as we are supposed to be, but as we are. And God, I thank you that we can experience that powerful truth. Lord, I pray that this would set us free. Um, for those of us here this morning who are in bondage in a variety of different ways, Lord, I pray that as we trust your word, and as we listen to your voice, that you would be healing us and setting us free. We thank you for your word. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.